One, two. Check one, two. Come on, Transit. How are you doing? Woo, woo, woo. You can hear me. Praise God. <laughs> Hopefully we can hear God this morning. That's the key. Jesus, come speak to your people. So, um, I'm preaching this week. So, back to back. And we had a little bye week last week. Everybody get some good rest? Cool. So, we had three families impacted by COVID the last 14 days-ish. And so, um, thankfully, most everyone is on the mend and in a healthy place. So, praise God for that, right? And uh, I just wanted to take a minute as we open up here, just uh, let's just pray for them again. I'm not going to, I'm not going to name them by name, but we're just going to lift up those families that have been impacted. And uh, we're going to start off our morning with a little bit of prayer. And uh, we've already, the Holy Spirit's here. He's moving. Um, we love it. He loves to dwell among his people. Uh, he's always with us and in us, but awesome when he manifests his presence with us in a special way. And so let's ask that he would increase our awareness of his presence here this morning and that we'd be able to enjoy fellowship with him and with each other. Sound good? So, Jesus, we just lift up to you those who've been impacted by COVID. Um, Lord, here at the transit, and God, we know there's a, a larger spread impact, God, in the region even, and so God, we're just asking, God, that you'd be with those families who have been stricken with the sickness, who are uh, struggling to get back to 100% mending, God, we're just asking that, Holy Spirit, you, you come and you minister healing to their bodies, uh, well, that's what you do, God, you're, you're Jehovah Rapha, our healer, and uh, would you heal physical elements, you heal the emotional pieces, God, you heal minds, God, you heal it all, and so God, we're just asking that Holy Spirit, you come and uh, and you heal, Father God. And Lord, we're asking even this morning that, Lord, that you would help us to abide in your presence. God, you say to abide in the shelter of the Most High, to uh, to dwell in the shelter of the Most High, to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So God, we come to sh- abide in your shadow this morning. God, your word says that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, that no evil will befall him. God, that no plague will come near their tent. So God, I'm just asking, Holy Spirit, that you would come that no plague would befall our tent today, God, that you would surround even our space right now, God. We're asking you to send warring angels over us. You minister to our hearts this morning, Holy Spirit. We give you permission to speak into our lives. And God, we ask that you would give us a heart that is soft and ready to receive your word. God, we ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every time I open up the scripture, I always love to pray. Ephesians 1.17. So if you you have a notepad, write that down. Pray Ephesians 1.17 over your life all the time. Paul prays, he says, would you give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus? And that's the whole point of all this, is that we would know Jesus better, that we would have our eyes fixed on Jesus, that he would be revealed in our midst. And so anytime you open up your Bible, crack that thing open, just pray Ephesians 1.17. God, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Because that's the whole point. This book isn't about us. It was written to help us know who God is. But it's not primarily about us, it's about God. It's about who He is, and it reveals who He is. And so when we come to Scripture, we want to come and let the Scripture examine our hearts. And so that's the place I want us to start from this morning. As we read Acts, we're in the narrative of Acts. We've been going through Acts for a little while now. And I tell you what, it keeps getting me more and more excited. I don't know about you guys, are you guys still excited to be in Acts? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's powerful. It's the church as it is supposed to be in a growing, ever-increasing measure. And so... The challenging part about reading Acts is oftentimes I find my life doesn't always line up with what I see. And that doesn't mean that what I see isn't true or for today. It means that who I am currently needs to come into alignment with what is actually true. Does that make sense? So we don't want to bring our experiences dictate who God is, and we don't want to live in the place of experience only, right? We want to live in the place of, God, you're big, you're huge, I don't understand this, so help me to align with your word where I don't come into alignment. Does that make sense? 
Okay, so this morning, I'm going to spend a little bit of time. We're going to go through this chapter. Um, I'm going to bring out a couple points I feel like the Holy Spirit highlighted. And then near the end of our time, we're actually going to have to spend a little time in prayer this morning because this passage is specifically about the praying for I, what I think is a, a persecuted church. It's a good model. I think we see a good model of how the church responds under persecution and how we engage and then what God can do through the effective prayer of a righteous man. And we're all made righteous because of the blood of Jesus, right? Does that make sense? That's where we stand this morning. So we're going to dive in. First slide. Uh, we're going to just go by these in chunks of verses versus reading the whole thing out. And uh, it should be on the screen. Ah, I love it. Hammer, Caleb, my man. Thank you. Praise God for you. So let's read together if you are able to. So about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So this is where we start our story. Herod. This is the great, this is the grandson of Herod the Great. So you guys remember Jesus' story? He comes on the scene. He's, hears about this king and he murders every kid under the age of two. It's hard to imagine what that's like, but actually it's not. Because in our culture where we live for the last, since 1973, I think over 60 million little ones have been aborted. So that's murder under the age of two. I know somewhat, the political issue, right? It gets a little, oh, how do we wrestle with that? But that's actually the reality. We live in a generation where taking life is okay under that age, right? And I know it's a tough topic. I'm not going to dive into it fully this morning, but I just want us to see we do live in a generation similar to the one that Jesus came in his first coming. And, and we think back to Moses. What happened in the story of Moses, right? They killed all the two-year-olds. Why? Because they were multiplying way too fast. You know, the, 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 the Hebrew women, they could have children. It was like it was crazy. It was God's hand, right? And God allows it. And then we see what happens in the Moses story, right? The Moses story happens, and God raises up Moses from that same generation, right? And he delivers his people, crushes a whole empire, destroys every... I mean, you talk about Egypt, it was like they worshiped false gods like left and right, right? God of the sun, God of the moon, God of fertility, God of this, God of that, right? And God crushes a whole system. He doesn't just go for delivering his people, he destroys the whole system, right? God allowed it. It said that in that story, which, which is mind-boggling, that, that God allowed what happened to the Israelites to happen. He allowed them to be slaves, he allowed them to be persecuted, he allowed it, and then in his ultimate power, he delivers them and destroys the whole empire, right? And then Jesus' day, Jesus comes, right? He was born that same generation. So Herod the Great, he was, he was the one when Jesus came, and then we see Jesus crucified, right? He's resurrected, he goes to see the Father, and he gives, um, he gives a commission to his, his team. And so now we have got Herod, he's, so counted down, Herod, and we got Herod's son, and then his grandson, right? So this is Herod's grandson. We see a theme here, right? So what comes down the line, I mean, it's coming down the line, right? Like, he's like his father. He's like his father's father. That stuff is real, okay? That stuff actually has an impact on our lives, right? The sins of our fathers will impact us in some level or way without the Holy Spirit and Jesus coming and delivering us. So if you see a pattern in your family, um, chase it up and down the line, and there may be something there that God wants to deliver us. I know for me, anger was a big thing. I always struggle with anger a lot. And, uh, and come to find out, it's coming down my parents' side, on, on my mom's side specifically, Grandmother, mother, and even my mom, we all had this struggle with anger. 
And so Holy Spirit, he helped me. It was, it was at a time of prayer and healing and deliverance where I was able to kind of get free from this bondage from, I just like, I get, at the snap of a hat, I would get really angry. And, and over the last year, the Holy Spirit's really brought freedom in my life. Uh, hopefully my kids and my wife will testify to that, that the Holy Spirit helped me to walk in patience. And so, all right, I'm going to put that to the side for a second, okay? If you want to dig in more to that, let's have a side conversation. I want to stay on, on point here. But he sees that killing these guys brings him favors with the Jews. So Herod's a people pleaser, right? He's like, oh, this is going to get me favor with these guys, going to get me favor with these guys over here. So at, at his core, he's, he's, he's a people pleaser, and he wants to do whatever's going to get him power, glory, and, and it says that he kills James, the brother of John. And later on in this section, we see Peter tells James, not the brother of John, the brother of Jesus, but James and John, they were the sons of Zebedee. It was big James, if you watch The Chosen, right? And my kids were like, well, which James is this? And I was like, it's the big James. They're like, okay, awesome. And, uh, and as we were reading this passage yesterday, it was a kid, because I always like to get their perspective after I write my sermon, so then I can rewrite it. Um, and and they, they said the part that they were really sad about was that he was killed. They were, that kind of like rubbed them inside, right? And, uh, and that's the reality, though, of what it costs to follow Jesus. We see in Matthew 20, verse 23, Jesus told John and James what would happen to them. He said, you'll drink from the cup that I drink of. And that cup is the cup of suffering and death, right? And that's the cup that we also get to drink from. As exciting as it sounds, because it doesn't sound exciting to drink from the cup of suffering, but that's what we get when we sign up with Jesus. That's kind of a tough thing to wrestle with, right? It's, it's not like, it's not exciting, right? Now what is exciting is that Jesus is beautiful. And he's almost in It is lovely. It is pure. It is perfect. And he laid his life down so that he could invite us into fellowship with him. And he's a beautiful leader. In Song of Songs, chapter 5, there's this description of the bridegroom who ultimately is Jesus, right? He's the bridegroom king. It says, your head is made of fine gold. Gold is valuable. It's dependable. It's trustworthy because Jesus' leadership is trustworthy. What a beautiful description of King Jesus. And we sang about it this morning, right? He's the alpha. He's at the beginning. He's the omega. He's at the end. This is who we're worshiping. And so that's why drinking from this cup is worth it because at the end of the day, we get to be with Jesus. Go with me? Come on. So he beheads John. He beheads James, probably similar to John the Baptist, right? We rewind, and we see John the Baptist is also killed in a similar fashion. And so I think, I think one of the things that this really highlights is that we need to remember we're in a battle. Okay, guys? Okay, team. Okay, family. Okay, brothers and sisters. We're in a battle, right? And it's a battle of a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. And it's raged on from the beginning, and it will continue to rage on until Jesus comes and sits on his throne and makes it perfect as he rules from Jerusalem. So he will demolish and destroy his kingdom. But his kingdom is advancing. And how is it advancing right now? Well, the kingdom of God, most scholars, if you do the research and the reading, will agree that the kingdom of God is authority. It's his authority advancing through his people, right? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church, right? On this rock, right? He's talking to Peter. On this rock. What is the rock? It's the revelation of who Jesus is. Because, right, as, as Jesus was saying, who do they say I am? Some say Elijah. Some say um, I don't remember exactly the reference, but Elijah, right? John, uh, all these prophets, right? But Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? Peter says, you're Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. He gets the revelation of who Jesus is, right? And then Jesus says, on that rock, on that revelation of Jesus Christ, as God, I will build my church. And so on that rock, he builds his church, right? On the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how we are built up as a body. Does that make sense? 
tracking with me? So it's the revelation of Christ that we really need, and we need to remember we're in a battle. It's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and we need to remember what Jesus says about being in relationship to following him. And so Psalm 2, verses 1 through 6, I'll just read a couple of those here. Hopefully that's in the slide there, my man Caleb. Bringing it. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? This is Psalm 2. The kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Talking about Jesus there, right? So the Lord, the Father, and then his anointed one, Jesus Christ, right? And they say, let us burst their bonds apart, right? And cast away their cords from us. So we live, right, in the world, in the kingdom of darkness, the rulers, the authorities, those in power, they say, let's throw off the laws of the Lord. We don't want them. We don't want to be bound. We want to be free, right? And so this is his response to man, and this includes us, right? Because oftentimes our hearts don't want to align with the word of God and to what he says is valuable. And so our hearts don't really want to be in that place of surrender and submission to him. And so we say, I just want to throw this off. I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. And that's the reality of our hearts, right, apart from Jesus Christ. And so he who sits in heaven, this is the Lord responding. He laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to him in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. We know the end of the story. Jesus is enthroned, and while evil may prevail for a season, and I, I don't want to, this is, this is not, this is the not good news. Things will not progressively get better until Jesus returns. The Bible says, Clearly, they will continue to be worse and worse and worse. Luke 21, verse 23, Jesus is talking about the end of the age, the signs. He says, they will deliver you up to synagogues, and they will persecute you, and they will think that they are doing a good thing, right? And we know the story of Daniel. It talks about the, the end times, right? The generation the Lord returns. It says that they, they, will, they will, it will be a lawless generation, and lawlessness will continue to increase, and yet at the same time, as darkness increases, so will the light of Jesus. The light of Jesus will increase because he has overcome. It doesn't mean things will naturally look like they're getting better because they won't. I don't want us to be deceived. Things will not get physically better on this earth. But the kingdom of God advances forcefully. And it says in Matthew 11, it says that violent men lay hold of it. And what that means, it's a spiritual violence. It says, I deny myself to follow Jesus. I live a lifestyle of prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord, and allowing the Word to dictate my relationship, to dictate what is important, right? I have to let the Word be the final say, not the book that somebody wrote, not the world narrative, not the news. Those things cannot be the final say. We have to stay rooted in the Word of God, because if we don't, we'll be deceived. It's not going to get better, but we have a king on the natural, but it will get better and better and better as we seek the Lord, right? And as we pursue Jesus. And so while there's pain and suffering, it's going to happen. It's, Jesus says it in, in John 15, 18 through 19. I think it's the next verse I have up here. He says that the, the world hates you. Know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love you because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. This is the reality of what we live in. The world does not like Jesus' rulership and leadership, and it will not like it. And that's why at the end of the age, the Lord is going to set all things right. But he's going to allow evil to have its full potential just like he will bring about the fullness of the harvest. So at the same time, we have this dynamic darkness and lightness ever increasing, ever increasing, until the point where Jesus says, okay, I've, I've, the age of mercy is over, and I am stepping into history, 
as judge and king. He will execute perfect justice because he's the only one who can. Who is handed the scroll in Revelation chapter 4? The lamb, looking as though he was slain, King Jesus. He has the, he has the rightful place in the throne. He will judge. But until then, we live with this gospel that we're proclaiming. Jesus is coming, okay? And he's going to sit on the throne. But until then, you have an opportunity to serve him, to give your life to him, to do with everything you have in this life, stuff that will matter for eternity. Y'all with me? So this, I, I know this isn't like the happiest message we're talking about this morning, but this is the reality that we live in, and I don't want us to be deceived. I want us to be awake. I love that song we sang this morning, right? Awake my soul. Ephesians 5, 17, 14 through 17. I've been praying that probably for the last 12 months over this body, that we would wake up. We would awake, O oh sleeper. Let the light of Christ shine upon us. We would be awake to the reality of the kingdom of light that we live in and the battle that we're engaged in. Acts 12, 5 through 19. We're going to spend about five minutes here. So somebody alert me at five minutes, okay? 12, 15 through 19. It's going to take me probably like one minute to read all this. So, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And the sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side. Hey, buddy. And woke him up, said, get up quickly. And the chain, boom, fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. We talked about this in our men's group the other day. Like, why were, why do they have to get dressed? Just to, yeah. Employment, right? um, but I like it. He said, get dressed, put your robe on, get your sandals on, we're going. And he did so, and he said, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he followed him. He did not know that he was being done, what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when he had passed the first and the second guard, that's amazing, they came into the iron gate leading into his city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And Peter came to himself and he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent an angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. Now I'm sure. He woke up, right? Boom. And from all the Jewish people who were expecting, what? His execution, right? And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. So we got John Mark here. Where many were gathered together. And what were they doing? They were praying. So earnest prayer, and now they're praying. And when he knocked at the door, boom, 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 right? Of the gateway. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy. She did not open the gate, but ran out and reported that standing with the gate. I love this image, right? It just makes you chuckle. Then they said to her, you're out of your mind. But they kept, she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. It's his angel. Like, who came up with that reply? That's what I want to know. But Peter continued knocking. So he's faithful to keep knocking, right? And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand, be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when they came, there was no little disturbance, right? There wouldn't be. But the soldiers, among the soldiers of what had become of Peter, and after Herod searched for him and did not find him, examined the centuries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. What a cool story. What a cool story, right? So the church's response to James' death and Peter's imprisonment was what? earnest prayer, right? They made earnest prayer for him. And it says many were gathered there. That's what blows my mind. There was many. It wasn't just like a little prayer meeting. They were like packing them in there, right? Because 
you guys realize at this point in the church history, it wasn't, they don't meet in buildings like this. They meet in houses. They meet because it's illegal to follow Jesus and you'll be persecuted and put to death. So they're, they're packing them in and they're praying and it's earnest prayer. And, uh, and I asked the question, what does earnest prayer sound like? It's not emotional, right? Not a lot of loud words and just hubble up, right? We're not, we're not just vomiting words out. Earnest prayer, it's, it's a sincere, genuine, and it's effective because it's done from a place of, God, what are you saying? Okay, I'm going to agree with you and I'm going to pray it. And I think one of the best ways to grow in the place of prayer is to just pray the word of God. This is what I teach my children. Every morning we get together and we, we break open a chapter of scripture and we read. And, and as we read through the scripture, before we start, I say, okay, guys, we're going to pray Ephesians 1, 17. Jesus, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We're going to pray Isaiah 65, 14. Open our ears, open our eyes to hear you, right? Jesus says it in Revelation a number of times to the churches. If, you're, if, the, if the ears are open, right, and the eyes can see, if, you have this, if you're listening to what the Spirit's saying, then, then hear it, right? And so I say, let's ask the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes. So I think, one, it's a genuine prayer from a place of praying the Word of God and agreeing and aligning with it, but also just being open in conversation, right? God, this really hurts. Or Jesus, I mean, simple prayers are the best. I'll teach you one of my favorite simple prayers if you're writing notes today. Thank you, Lord. Show me more. I love to pray that prayer. I'm sitting in my quiet time, right? I'm reading the Word. Then I get a little revelation. Thank you, Lord. Show me more. One more. Thank you, Lord. Show me more. Or just breath prayer. Just probably one of my favorite other prayers to pray. And Abigail, she hears me pray every second and morning, night, and day, whatever. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Because what does it do? It stirs something in your heart where you begin to become more and more in love with Jesus. Jesus, I love you. I love you. This hurts right now. I can't sleep tonight. Jesus, I love you. You know, oh, I lost this deal, right? I do sales, right? Sometimes I lose a deal, especially ones that I was really invested in. Jesus, I love you. You're good. I love you. Just little prayers. Come up with little phrases rooted in Scripture and just, just breathe them out, you know? You're, you're at the... Anybody here in the medical profession? Anybody see patients on a regular basis? As the patients come into the room, let's do it for the room. Let's do it for the room. For the room. Let them know their love today. Right? Just, just pray over every patient that comes in. It's a beautiful opportunity, right? Every single opportunity. I'm at the, the grocery store checkout line. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What's on your heart? What's on your heart? I love you. What's on your heart? Hey, so my name's Joseph. Not that you need to know that, but I love Jesus. And... I just want to pray for you. Is there anything I can pray for you today? Oh, yeah, actually, um, my son ran away from home. There's a response I got the other day. Like, okay, well, what's his name? He's 16 years old. He shares his name with me. Awesome. So, do you mind if I just pray for you real quick right now? Yeah, sure. Simple prayer. We're going to keep it simple, right? I don't need to back up the Starbucks line too far. Hey, Jesus, would you meet Dada in her situation? Would you show her that you love her? And would you help her find her son? Hey, God loves you. Just wanted to let you know that. Right? This is, this is how we can live our day in a place of earnest prayer. And then when we get together, yeah, come on, right? And then when we get together and stuff's happening that doesn't feel good, we're ready to, to wage war with our prayers, right? I love how God responds. See, God responds to our prayers. So he's not just, he's, sometimes he's waiting, I think, for us to pray. Now, I don't know how that fits with everybody's theology, but I think the Lord answers prayers, and sometimes he doesn't do things until we pray. God can easily prevent a lot of things with his power, but he allows it in his what? Wisdom. Right? Let me say that again. God can easily prevent a lot of things in his power, 
but he allows them because he is wise and he knows it all, right? And so we got to trust him in those moments. And sometimes he allows something so that we'll engage in prayer and we'll flex those prayer muscles, right? Why does God allow the church to be persecuted? I think it's because the church won't wake up without persecution. I think that's the reality. Because we see that happen at the beginning of Acts, where God, Jesus has given them the commission. It's five years later. They still haven't left Jerusalem. And he allows persecution so that they're scattered. And then we see Antioch first. And then we fast forward two more years to 8045, and we see it happening again. Why? Because God, he allows in his wisdom, he allows terrible things to happen in his wisdom that he could easily prevent with his power. And I think it's because he knows what it's going to take to produce a pure and spotless bride. Would you all agree with me? Because I don't think the bride is where it needs to be yet. And we'll get there in a second. Um, so I love how God responds. Wake up, get dressed, breaks chains, he lets them go. And then let's get after it. What's Peter's response? He encourages the brothers. Hey, guess what just happened? I'm out. Let the brothers know. I'm going to tell some more people. I'll see you guys later. Right? He's excited. He's encouraging them. He's stirring them up with faith and good works. And then he pr- protects and he, pr- he refreshes. So he protected Peter. He refreshes Peter. I'm going to read you a story. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever read about Brother Yun. Anybody know Brother Yun? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. So... Uh, there's a book called Heavenly Man. It's about his testimony. He's a house church leader from the 50s and persecuted, imprisoned, beaten many, many times for his faith in China, the underground church. They kicked out all the missionaries at a certain point. And then for, for decades, we thought all oh, of the church in China must be in terrible state. Nobody's, we're not hearing anything, right? Come to find out there's millions of believers in China because the gospel took root. And because of persecution, it grew and it flourished. And they meet in underground churches. Read the story, Heavenly Man. Write down a book. That's a book that will change the way you see Jesus, life, and a lot of things. Um, but he writes in this chapter where he's talking about being bold as a lion, and he talks about a believer who managed to escape from prison. He had been horribly tortured and mistreated, and his escape was a miracle from God. So he gets out. Despite the cruel treatment that he had received, within a few days of his escape, the brother started to miss close fellowship that he enjoyed with other Christians in the prison. God sent him to prison. <laughs> allowed him to get captured, tortured, beaten, and he was a witness, and he began to evangelize, and prisoners began to get saved. Matthew 25, right? A cup of cold water those in prison. Didn't know it meant we'd actually end up in prison with some other prisoners. He was concerned about their welfare, and he longed to encourage them to stand firm in their faith, even though he had just escaped from prison, and the authorities were searching for him everywhere. This man boldly decided to return to prisoner as a visitor in order to see his brothers and momentarily encourage them. He went to the prison gates and handed over his identity card, which showed his real name. His request to see a certain prisoner was processed, and in due time, the inmate was brought out of the cell. What a surprise he received when he saw this visitor was none other than his own cellmate who had escaped just a few days earlier. Trying not too much to show too much excitement, because they're pretty excited. The prisoner, the bold visitor, enjoyed a few minutes of fellowship. They exhorted one another to remain firm in Christ and continue to boldly preach the gospel to everyone. Trying... The visitation came to an end. The visitor calmly thanked the guards, took his identity card back, and walked out into the street. Just moments later, as if God lifted a cloud from their mind, the guard realized the visitor was none other than the escapee they had been searching for. They raced out into the street with their guns drawn, but the man could not be found. What an awesome story, right? What boldness, what courage it took. And just like Peter, he's going around, he's encouraging. Hey, let me tell you this story. Let me just encourage you. That's what it's going to take. And so some people, he writes, it would be stupid for that man to return to prison, right? We, we could argue that one away. We could easily ju- justify that one, right? But he says, I believe the God, the love of God compelled him to act in such a bold way that he was able 
that the benefits of encouraging his brother outweighed the risk of being arrested again. This book is awesome. It is wrecking. It's been wrecking me. And so I read that story and I was challenged. And um, the kingdom of God, it doesn't just advance through human endeavor, but it, it still requires us to participate. And it advances through our prayers, and it will advance through our lives laid down. That's how people will see Jesus, will witness Jesus through our lives laid down. Um, last bit of scripture here, and then we're going to jump into a time of, of corporate prayer. We're all, we're all good at that. So how are we tracking on time? 10.38, what time should we be done? 10.45, all right, so... Two, two and a half, three minutes, okay? All right, God's glory alone. Acts 12, 20 through 23. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, having persuaded Blastus the king's chamber, and they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On the appointed day, Herod put him on his royal robes. So this is Herod, the contrast, right? Peter, get up, put your robes on. Here's Herod, he's putting on his royal robes, right? And he takes his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. He gives them an incredible speech. Just think of all those incredible speeches you've heard, right? And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Yuck. That's what my kids said. Absolutely. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. No, that's exactly. We read this yesterday and they're like, That is so gross. And I was like, It is. It's probably like a stomach intestinal thing, right? But it's terrifying anyway. He gets eaten by worms. I think Josephus writes that five days later he died, right? So he, some sort of infectious worm disease. And, oh, gross. So we see, I think here, um, a picture, right? God will use wicked rulers and powerful men to accomplish his purposes in the bride and demonstrate his mercy to others. Back to the issue of the heart, right? Which is deceitfully wicked, according to Jeremiah. I don't want to just end up there. There's a mini scene, I think, that we see here how God operates. He will use wicked rulers, power, and evil men to accomplish his purposes. And so Isaiah 10, 4, I think, demonstrates this. There's a lot of verses, a lot of scripture. There's actually about 150 chapters, if you're not aware, of prophetic information about Jesus' second coming. There's about 90 books in the Bi- 90 chapters in the Bible between the four Gospels about his first coming. But there's about 150 chapters about his second return because it's going to be a big deal, right? And a lot of it hasn't been completely fulfilled in Scripture yet. But Isaiah, chapter 10, verse 4, talking about Assyria. Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the... Uh, there it is. Maybe it was 11. I have a... It's verse 5, that's what it is. He says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. So he's talking about how he used Assyria to judge the northern tribe of Israel. Okay, you all track it with me? So God uses Assyria, a wicked nation, to bring judgment and discipline and rebuke on his people. Track it with me? And then this is what it says, though, of that rod. He says in verse 12, When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and his boastful eyes, the boastful look in his eyes. The Lord will use wicked, evil rulers to accomplish his purposes on the earth. Not raise them up, not untouched. He will allow them, in his wisdom, to accomplish what he could easily prevent in his power. Because Jesus isn't about making us love him. Do you realize that? Jesus isn't going to make anyone love him. It's, it's, a, it's a choice. But he will orchestrate circumstances in such a way that we want to choose him. He will allow terrible things to happen 
and then he will judge those wicked rulers. Right? Assyria says in his pride, I'm the best, I'm the baddest, right? I'm the best kingdom. And then Jesus says, okay, you've accomplished my purpose, now you're going to, you're going to, I'm going to judge you. And that's, that's just the way he works. And I say, I think we see this many scenes here, right? He allowed Herod to bring persecution against the church. It helps the church engage in some earnest prayer. The gospel goes forth. It continues to spread. The believers scatter, right? And then what? He judges the wicked ruler. That's the way it's going to be at the end of the age. He allows wickedness to rise to its fullness, and then he will judge it as he steps back into the scene. And I think that's the scariest part, is when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for a pure bride, not currently the priest. He's coming back for an attentive bride. Honestly, I think the bride is sleeping, right? Especially in the West. A lot of places it's awake. But that's probably because it's really hard to be a Christian there. And you, you will see persecution, family, right? And so... We're going to kind of wrap here, so I think this is a good spot to be, and I just want to kind of share a couple of thoughts as we, we're going to engage in prayer, and what we're going to engage in prayer for today is for the persecuted church. So there's two countries that picked, I picked China, because I've been reading about the heavenly man, and just stirred up in my heart to pray for the country of China, but also to pray for Afghanistan, right? Because that's, that's just, it's world news right now, a lot happening there. So we're actually going to engage in prayer. Um, what this will look like, we're going to spend about 10 minutes, we'll give about a couple minutes to each one of these things. And we're going to pray a couple, along a couple of lines. So you might have to go forward a couple of slides, Caleb, if you don't mind. Um, I mentioned the Titus 2 scripture earlier, where God's grace comes as the salvation for each of us. It teaches us to deny ungodliness, and it teaches us to live righteously before the Lord. That's Titus 2, 11 through 15. And so from that place of God's grace, we're going to pray today. And uh, so we're going to spend about 10 minutes, maybe a little bit longer, to engage in praying together. Does that sound good to you all? I'm going to have Abigail come on up and just jump on the keys. And, uh, so we're going to pray three things today. We're going to spend a few minutes in personal time of repentance. I want us to start engaging in prayer through just, God, is there anything in me that would hinder, hinder love? Is there anything in me that you want to confront or challenge or stir up or open my eyes to? And God, I just, I repent of it. Jesus, I come to you. Because the beautiful hope is, is that Jesus, that's who Jesus is. He provides. He's holding his hand. He's saying, look, I paid the way. You don't got to earn this on your own. This isn't just you. This is partner with me. This is what I'm doing. Come join me. It's not about God. I'm doing stuff. Would you come bless me? No, it's, Lord, what are you doing? I want to join you. I want to join you today. So we're going to join the Lord in praying uh, for these nations and for believers. And then we're going to spend a couple of minutes. Um, I put praying for the local community. I do want us to spend a couple of minutes. We've got our bags to pack out in the back, right? So let's pray over Bryn Mawr Elementary School this morning. Let's pray over the JVDCC. I've got some, I've got an outline here. This will help us, right? And I'm just going to guide us through it. Um, and then we're going to pray for the persecuted church. And we're going to pray that God would do a couple things in these nations. That, that he would raise up and protect believers, right? They need his protection. We're going to ask God to do what he did in this story. God, would you open up prison doors? Would you send angels to release men and women who are being held in prison and whose time it is for them to come back out and encourage the church in that nation? Does that make sense? So we're going to pray along these lines of what we see in this story. I think it's a good model. It helps us see how to pray for the persecuted church. We're going to pray that they get access to God's word. In most nations, they don't have access to full Bibles or Bibles at all. And if you do, it's, sometimes it's an SD card you plug into your phone so you can read scripture. Because it's illegal to have Bibles. We live in a nation, I got like three or four Bibles just sitting on my table, right? And it, it pains my heart to think, we have so much resource, so many conferences, so many, so many freedoms, and what does our posture towards Jesus look like? I think it's honestly, it's kind of like challenging, but I think it's a Revelation 3, chapter 1, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, 
to the church in Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive. It looks like there might be some stuff living on the outside, but really, you're dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and about to die. I have not found the works complete in the sight of God. We have, a, we have works to finish completing as the church in the West, and we are representatives of that church. We can't manage all the other churches around here, right? That's just not our job. But we can manage our hearts here in this family, and we can be an agent of change. And I tell you what, it only takes a few. I think about David's mighty men. I think about all throughout history. It took one Daniel through the history of 80 years, 70 years in Babylon. It just takes a few hungry, repentant, devoted to the Lord in earnest prayer. And so that's where we're going this morning. So let's just spend this couple minutes. And if you're looking for a chapter or a verse to read from a place of repentance, turn to Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 or verse 15. And I'm just going to lead us in a, a couple minutes. I'm just going to pray real quick. And then I want us to take like two or three minutes and just sit before the Lord, communicate to the Lord, and just repent and prepare our hearts to pray. Sound good? So Jesus, we just come before you humbly. God, I'm just I'm humbly coming before you this morning, God. God, I ask that you would stir our hearts. That you, God, you would convict us. You would convict us, God, of our sin. God, would you wake us up this morning? God, we come to you. We convict our hearts where we need to repent. And help us. Help us, Jesus. Let's just take a couple minutes. Maybe we just repent out of our idols of comfort. And maybe ask the Holy Spirit to lead us into the place of intercession this morning. Let's turn our, our hearts for a couple of minutes. Let's pray for our local community. Um, if you feel like comfortable getting in groups with a couple of people, feel free to do that. Um, otherwise, grab hold of your spouse's hand, your kid's hand, and let's just begin to engage for a few minutes. Um, we'll do our best to respect the kids' ministry time. So. Spend three minutes here. We're going to pray for Bryn Mawr Elementary School. If you're looking for a verse to pray, pray out of Ephesians 1.17. And then the Detention Center, um, right down the street. Many of us have registered to be volunteers there. And we pray out of 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. We're going to start us off, and then we'll go to about 10.53. And then we'll pray for some of the nations I have listed here. So God, we just come before you. We're lifting up our local community this morning. So we're asking, God, that your word would go forth swiftly. Holy Spirit, that you would grant us boldness to proclaim your gospel. But we're asking that it would speed ahead and it would be honored. But we're asking that you would deliver, uh, Lord, children into your kingdom at Bryn Mawr Elementary School. God, would you grant faith to their hearts, Jesus. So let's just take a couple minutes. Just pray in groups, two or three. Holy Spirit, lead us. Jesus, we love you. We love what you're doing this morning. We love what you're doing this morning. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. Let's turn our attention. Let's pray for the church in China this morning. Let's spend just a couple minutes. And let's also pray for the church in Afghanistan. And then what it means to follow Jesus in these countries is that they cannot worship openly. They cannot worship only in homes and in small venues. And that's okay. Because the Lord meets us in those places. Most, many are being beaten, tortured, or kidnapped, not only by governments, but by friends and family. In Afghanistan, to leave Islam is to, is to put your life on the line. And so let's pray this morning. Let's pray that Jesus would send forth his word swiftly. Let's pray out of Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, if you have your Bible. 
pray out of 2 Corinthians 11.1. Let's pray out of these scriptures that God would meet the needs of the persecuted church in China and Afghanistan. We'll spend the next two minutes, minute and a half, praying for China. So God, we just thank you. So we're asking God, you'd move even right now among the persecuted church, God. Would you open prison cells? Would you send forth angels, God, to deliver those that need to be delivered? God, would you strengthen the body? Jesus, we come before you humbly. All right, let's just engage. Let's engage. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Let's keep praising. Let's keep praying. Keep pressing in. Lord, we thank you for Afghanistan, God. We thank you for this country, this nation. God, we're asking God that, Lord, you would be faithful. That you would establish and guard, Lord, your believers against the evil one, God. That they would have confidence in you, Lord. That you're doing and you will do the things that you've commanded, Jesus. Just engage for Afghanistan for a couple minutes here. Jesus, we love you. I love it. I love it. The Lord loves it. He loves it. He loves it when his people make earnest intercession. Lord, we just bless the work you're doing this morning. God, I pray that you bless. I just bless my brothers and sisters this morning. God, would you stir up in our hearts, God. Lord, this this time of prayer, God, would not just stop here, God. But Lord, Monday, you put it on our heart tomorrow morning. God, you put it on our heart Thursday morning, God. Wednesday morning. Wednesday afternoon at lunch, God. Would you help us to begin to carve out times in our days, God. Lord, that Sunday would not be the only time we pray. God, that we would be a people in earnest prayer and intercession day in and day out. God, give us ideas. Give us strategies. Give us wisdom on how we can be praying consistently, continually, effectively, fervently. Engaging you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. Amen, amen. It's good, church. This, this is what our call is. We're called to engage with the Lord, to be in earnest prayer. Did you all enjoy that? Yeah, refreshing, right? Refreshing. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. As we refresh the church around the world, and even right here, we're going to get refreshed even ourselves as we engage with Jesus. So, takeaways from today is just one thing I want to invite you into. We're a church that's growing in earnest prayer. And so we meet three times a month right now for prayer. We meet every other Thursday morning from 6.15 to 7, um, 6 to 7.30. Uh, sometimes we roll to 8, but you can always duck out at 7.30. So it's in the morning, a.m., 6.15, every other Thursday. Kristen, she leaves that up with an accessory team. Every other Thursday. The next Thursday is the 21st. So come out. Come spend some time. It's only going to make 30 minutes. There's no judgment about how long you come for. Just show up encounter what we're praying about we're praying over the church we're praying over the region we're engaging in times we're just sitting before the lord and ministering to him so it's two times a month on thursday morning 6 15 to 7 45 a.m so come i know it's a little bit of a sacrifice and uh if you got a job that requires you to be in the office even earlier just hit up kristen or i i might even i show up a little earlier right you can be here 5 30 if you need to and we'll meet the other group at 6 15 whatever and then we have prayer and worship nights, at least once a month. We rumble from Friday nights from 8 to 10 at night. And then every quarter we switch that up and we do at 6, um, 30 to 8 so that kids can join. Because we want to teach our kids to pray too, right? It's not just about us, but it's about teaching our kids, right? Because you all are the mighty warriors that will continue to go forward as we equip you. Okay? So those are the three times a month that we engage in consistent prayer. And then uh, on Sunday morning... Go up at 9 if you want to. Rumble in the back room uh, with Nick and I and a couple of the others for about 15 minutes just asking God to move. But I really want to encourage you. Like, this earnest prayerfulness is something that will mark this house, this body of believers, this family. It's something that God's calling us into. It's to be effective people of prayer and worship. And so I encourage you. Make, make the time. Make it a priority. 
because this is, this is how the church will have a huge impact. Our prayers are expected, and so I invite you, Thursday mornings, come rumble with us. I'll bring you coffee if you need it. Friday nights, once a month, come rumble with us. Has anybody been to the Friday night prayer and worship night? I'm telling you what, this Friday was so powerful. Holy Spirit showed up in such a powerful way. There were some things that I've been struggling with, others have been struggling with, but God brought freedom in our hearts just because we were engaging with Him. And so, let's be a people of prayer. Let's be a people of this Word. Let's not just read it. Let's do what it says. Sound good, church? I love you guys. I love His family. I love each and every one of you. This is, this is a beautiful thing God's doing here. It may not seem like a lot, right? There's a lot of empty seats in here. That's okay. The Lord, He loves this house. And I feel it when I pray for you. I feel it when I engage. He loves our children who are probably screaming in the back right now because I've gone over time. But He loves us. He loves us. So let's go out in the love of Jesus today. And let's love on some other people who need to be loved. Let's invite them in. And uh, we've got a prayer team up here. Okay? So Ruth's going to come up. And we've got a couple others on the prayer team. And I want you all, if, if there's anything God's put on your heart you need prayer for, just come get some prayer. Come get filled up afresh with the love of Jesus as you get hands laid on and prayed for you. And uh, for those of you who got kids, go tell them I'm really sorry for going over. And, uh, and grab those kids and love on them. Sound good, church? I love you. We're going to end here this morning. I know usually we end with a song, but I don't know what I love on our, our ministry kids directors back there. Sound good? So come get some prayer and uh, go in peace and in faith. Woo! Jesus, we love you. Amen.